you're right. You know, when, when the big production companies come in here, they want to get everything. They want the soup to nuts, you know, so they want every aspect of the, the film production. And we do that very well. We do have very talented crew and very talented actors and, you know, very talented location managers. In the room, 52 Jokers Wild. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's show. And it is our 100th episode. And our special guest is Annie Duna who is an educational and quality consultant, currently the chair of the board of the Galway Film Festival and the outgoing chair of Screen Iron. So, Annie, welcome to our show, our special show, because it's the 100th one. And we, as, as I mentioned earlier, we've been talking to a lot of producers, uh, especially in the micro-budget area of the film industry, who are basically trying to get their first film out there to try and you know, make their credentials. And we, we've been discovering that uh, quite often that they've got an idea of what it is they have to do functionally to make their film, but they don't quite know how to connect to how to return the money on the investors. And I know you've got a few little insights in that that you were talking to us about earlier on. Do you want to mention some of the, what, what would your advice be at this point to new producers who want to get their films made and get them out to an audience. Okay, I'm delighted to be here and to, to join you for this uh, 100 episode. Yeah, it's it's difficult because Ireland is a small enough market of viewers. I mean, we're a population, I know the population is now around 5 million, and it's probably a lot easier to get those cinema goers to go to a big Hollywood blockbuster or to watch something on Netflix than it is to get them along to their cinema to see a homemade Irish movie. Now, there are some exceptions, you know, the big name, um, TV series like Normal People recently, um, The Favourite, you know, big films that have made it, that's great. But for a lot of producers, it's about how do you get that audience to your film? And often they are the smaller budget, the 1.5 million, the 2 million. So what Screen Ireland does is it works with those producers to try and develop their skills, their talents and help them on their journey. And I think that if you look at a company like Element, Element was making uh, The Favourite for a good number of years in development with Screen Ireland. And now what Element does is it plays with the big boys and girls. So it's doing big international co-productions. It's a really well-known name internationally and they're getting very large budgets. They're still very interested in making Irish film and Irish stories, which is wonderful. But they came on a journey from small scale budgets, working in development, working in distribution and production with Screen Ireland and Screen Ireland advice and taking advantage of the Section 481 tax incentives as well. They're very important as you scale up, as you get to the bigger productions. And without those tax incentives, a lot of those first films could not be made. So it is a bit of a journey for a producer. In all honesty, they're not going to make megabucks from their first film, a couple of films. They're going to learn. They're going to nurture their own talent and the talent of their cast and crew. And I hope that they would get the support from Screen Ireland with the production, with the development, but also with the distribution, with the marketing. Use that expertise that's there, is what I would say to them, with the intention that they will eventually go on and start to make bigger budget movies. But it is difficult. It is difficult in a small film market. Now, one of the things that Screen Ireland did just before I left as chair was to argue that, you know, the Netflix has changed 
our viewing lives in COVID and is likely to continue. And we put forward something that, um, again, has been supported by a number of reports, that those guys should be making a contribution to the Irish film industry, which would go some way to supporting those smaller Indigenous films and helping the development of producers and, and what they want to do. So there are things that we're proposing and that are already in place that can help those producers on their journey. That's actually something that I was only talking to some people about in the last couple of weeks. And we were going, how? It's macro needs to support micro. You know, the big boys are here. It's not that there's like being an accountant, they had to, the tax man had to set the level for Section 481 mm-hmm. at some figure. It was 250,000. It was never really meant for that figure because if you do the finances and the legals at that level then it becomes a high percentage of the cost it was meant to attract the five millions the ten millions to create the jobs into ireland and these are the high quality jobs getting the bigger blockbusters as you say but if we just bring that down a level the, it's it's the there's an aspiration level from micro short to first jump feature that is trying to be a, a minimum section 481 to get a veil of those taxes, to get a little bit more bang for buck budget for their first testimonial feature. So the, the, this, there is still a distance from the 1 million, 2 million to this aspirational 250,000 for those people that are trying to create their first, they're trying to wrap themselves into being a producer, director. They might have wrote the story. It's actually, I've even seen the language coming from some of the stuff from Galway Film Centre and, and like further afield going. It's this writer, producer, director. They nearly have to be the one personality, it seems, to promote themselves and go a bit further into other jobs to get, to, to try and attract others to the rest of the team. That's the, the sort of language we're finding. They, they got to get their go-to team they got to get together. they got to pitch not just a story, but the, the, the things that you just mentioned there, sales and distribution and marketing and finance, when wrapped around functional production, will give the talent an opportunity to present themselves to the future employers or, or, or the yeah. future money to keep on doing yeah. that again I mean, and again. Yeah. It's, it's so about, it, it is about building that reputation and building that network. And a lot of of the big feature film directors, writers, producers in Ireland started out with short films. Um, I'm ex-president of IEDT. A number of them started out with a student film. You know, their graduation film got some attention. They then made another short film. They then perhaps co-directed. Some of them, um, and this is particularly true for women, went into TV and co-produced or co-directed on TV, on the soaps, for example, and then back into making their first feature film. So, you know, it's not that you come in and you're suddenly, you know, uh, a, a huge star, you know, you're suddenly... No. It is journey. that journey, and it is about building up the finance. And I think, as you said, Gavin, building up the confidence of the investors and of the bigger producers. And I will just say that, you know, the, the research that uh, myself and other people have done say it's even harder for women. You know, it's hard for men, producers and directors and writers to get that first break. It appears to be a lot harder for women. And, and even where women make their first feature, it's harder for them to get a second feature. So there's a lot of kind of dimensions going on, but it has to be seen as a Actually, journey. Actually, Annie, the weird thing is you've touched on a weird glass. We, before we started interviewing the, the, film, the film people, we, we, we cut our teeth actually talking to like uh, a lot of people in uh, motivation 
they were motivational coaches, mentors, and talking about comfort zones. So, because we, we, what we thought was most of the time we're finding people feel they're imposter, they get a little bit of imposter syndrome, they get fear because they're going outside their comfort zone because they're being asked to do roles that are not really their remit. But if they want to get them, like we're using this language of trying to get these scripts out of drawers because they're in there, they're written. We don't know if it's a, a million pounds something or, or, or a flop. It, it can be the best thing and the worst thing. But at the moment, it needs other people to, to give it airtime, to give it their time, to invest their money, effort and energy into it, to even figure out what it is in order to bring it from script yeah. to screen. And, and, and that's the sort of journey that we're on. But what, what the great thing about what you were talking about is we've, it, we came across these other individuals and they were trying to address the glass ceiling, the glass ceiling for women in many industries, not just in, in film. And and to, to bring it into film, we're seeing an awful lot of... Uh, WFT, uh, like in terms of the, there's groups there trying to help break this glass ceiling for women. But the strange thing is, statistically, there's an awful lot of block and lock at the top level. Unless you kill a couple of men, open up positions, the positions just don't exist. Unless we create new opportunities, new content, new financing, then you have to cast and crew up there. Then you might have an opportunity to put in man or woman or anything in between. But we have to create new content. We have to, this content cannot already have us go yes, to crew yes. or because otherwise the position will not be available. Actually, Stephen Fellows, I, I never get his name right. I hope George no, corrects me. It is Stephen it might Fellows. Be Stephen Fellows yep. Or Stephen Fellows. There's a not, has an awful lot of research of a couple of thousand films around the world. And he looked particularly at producer directors. How many got to do a first one, yeah, never got yeah. to do a second one and get the second IMDb. Whether new film or old film, was there a statistically, like, was it new? Was it in low budget? You made your cut your teeth. It turns out the statistics said it was actually 50 mm-hmm. 50. So you don't, you can actually get an opportunity in, let's say, Mike, we call micro production under the five million mark now, just for, for the sake of it, and go, they don't need you to be approved yeah. on something anymore because it might blow the budget. Yeah. They want, well, if you've shown your talent on the way up, then they, they will take a risk with you potentially, as long as you package it end to end and says, this is our market. This is our audience. This is our subject matter. The great thing is, you've seen—I've seen a bunch of women come up now from watching the Facebook, watching just just the various film Facebook groups, and you can see them. There's a Mo O'Connells, a Roisin Carnies. They're there. They've cut their teeth. They've got their shorts. They won a couple of awards, but the jump now from the short budget—I'm using a language accountancy. Going, look, the two yeah. grand, ten grand, fifty grand, something. You're jumping from a 50 grand to a 500,000. And based on the Netflix and Amazon block, you a seven cent a return of view, you need to be delivering a 10 million viewer audience to get back your 1 yeah. million something yeah, just to break even. That's difficult in Ireland, particularly for some of the, the more sort of uh, the less commercial kind of subjects. But I think it's, it's multifaceted. So I think what you were saying, Garvin, that you know, the big companies, the big producers tend to go with what they know. So they know that these guys are going to be successful. They know they're going to produce a script that will make money, that will be good box office. So they have to start looking wider because those women are out there. You know, those women writers who've got this, the screenplay in the draw, those women directors and producers are there. Some of them are in television, some are in animation, some are making short films, some are making low-budget features. They have to go out there. They have to talk to Screen Island, to women in film and television, women in Hollywood, all of those groups and say, 
tell us where these women are. We want to find them and we want to give them opportunities. And I think that's important, you know, that they're looking actively for new stories. You know, they're looking actively for diverse voices. They're looking actively for representation of what Ireland is now, um, you know, and the, the new TV series, Kin, you know, is, is great in the sense that there's another Indigenous Irish production and, you know, there's some really talented women in that. And I think, and if you look at someone like Nasa Hardiman, you know, who just made her first big feature film, Sea Fever, you know, Nasa came up through TV, through the soaps, through soaps in, in Ireland and in the UK and said, you know, how difficult it is to get somebody to take a leap of faith in you and make that first um, big feature. And I think that's harder for women. So the production companies have got better at it. They're now recognising the importance of doing that and the commercial importance of doing it as well. The stories are what women yeah. who are a lot of cinema goers want to hear. You know, they're... It's half the world audience. I mean, there's always always an audience there for that kind. (laughs) So I I think it's it's making that move from the short or the student film to the short to the small budget to the big budget. There are people who can help along the way. For example, Screen Island, but it's not an easy journey, and I think it's not an easy journey, particularly for underrepresented voices. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I found with um, I've worked with students in the past uh, developing a number of projects and I've had uh, people work on my own projects. And what I found was that the women were actually the best ones to be the producers because they actually organized and structured things far better than the fellas did. The fellas tend to be thinking about their cameras, the shots and all this. And when you ask them how much a budget was, they kind of guessed it, they fudged it. But the women actually knew exactly where the budget was and what was going on. And they were better at scheduling things. And I was just wondering, is that is that the experience that uh, yeah, that, you're finding or what? How, yeah, that, that, well, that, that's interesting, George, because um, certainly when I was president of IADT, where the National Film School is, the women would tend to come in looking more towards producing than the guys. So it was very rare, there were some exceptions, but it was quite rare for women to come in and say, I want to be a cinematographer. I want to be a sound editor. Um, some said they wanted to be directors. You know, all the guys came in thinking they were the next Steven Spielberg. You know, they all wanted to go into directing or cinematography. So I think there's a little, a bit, a bit of a danger in that kind of thinking of saying, well, you know, women are good at the managing and the, the finances. And what we tried to do in IDT was say, you are going to try everything. You are going to be the grip. You are going to be the sound editor. You're going to be the graphic person. You are going to be the director. You're going to be the producer. You're going to try it all. You know, you are going to you know, to be the post-production guru, because then I think women were opened to more opportunities across a range of areas, because the applications for funding that used to come into Screen Island with women attached to projects, it was never an issue to get 40% of projects with women as producers. We never quite got 50%, but you were more likely to get women as producers, less likely to get them as directors, less likely to get them as, as sole writers and very unlikely to get them as cinematographers, directors of photography. So I think we, we were trying to say, let's break out of maybe a little bit of a mould that's there and say, we need to see women right across the whole gamut of, of producers, directors, writers, you know, and they're, they're all really important jobs, but I think it's about yeah. Yeah. these yeah. need developing. Okay. They need developing in Ireland. Yeah. Actually, only you know, strangely enough that the last three we've, even the last three individuals we've interviewed, a common denominator was appearing from it. It was not so much writer moving this direction into, into becoming producer-director. It was actually producer-director, even editors, 
to realize that they could write for yeah. the ask, write for the budget, bring bring in the creativity, but they 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 were coming from from the business end down to writing in order to be able to deliver on the ask and be able to package the full end to end, as opposed to some of the writers we were like you know talking to were literally stopping there and maybe pushing in a bit further and or, or and pretty much saying no, someone else will take care of that <laughs> part of it. Those individuals in our mind. Are, are going to be less in the queue of access of those that are going to be picked and chosen in terms, unless that story is a very high quality story that can be seen. It, you know, to be to move to be writer, like a producer, director, you have to nearly understand the editing aspect, the ask of the writing, right for this journey of budget so you can actually deliver the value product. Would you yeah, believe? I think, you think, I think some of that is necessity now, as well, Gavin, because if you're on a very small budget um, production, the producer does end up yeah. being three things or four things. It's more common. I mean, if you look at yeah. um, herself, the the new um, Phila Deloitte directed, you know, you've got Claire down there who wrote it and acted it and said, you know, well, I wrote it. And then somebody says, well, you might need to act it as well. You know, it's kind of, what can you do? What else can you bring to this um, to this project? So you often um, an excellent film. I mean, she's brilliant in it. If you so often it is necessity. You know, it is. Well, we need you to do two or three different things, and you know maybe this the kind of separation specialization happens as you get to the bigger budget movies. But it, it's not always the case. People are often doing two or three different um, different roles in, in the film production, particularly in the lower budget ones. Definitely. I think from a, from an editor's perspective, um, it, it's 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 through the editing. Uh, if you if the if the newbies started out in the editing process and understood what how a film got constructed from an editing perspective, they would then be able to work backwards to understand how it needed to be shot to make sure the shots fitted in sequences. And also from from the writing perspective, I mean, I I've, I've learned to write scripts because I started off as an editor. I, you know, I worked through the editing process. I understood how sequences would go together and you could see how to save time. And one of the problems I've had on, on my journey is that when I've worked with directors that haven't understood the processes, uh, they, could, they weren't looking at the overall story, for one thing. As an editor, you tended to look at the overarching story. They were looking from a very linear perspective. They could only see it from, it's got to work from here to yeah. here to here. Uh, and it would go all over the place because they hadn't got an overarching picture of what the story is. And I think that's something that's that's really relevant to uh, a lot of what we're talking to directors and, and producers so far is that they haven't got, they don't understand how that film is constructed to know how to deconstruct it to then make it from from the beginning and they can quite often overshoot and not keep to their budgets uh, yeah. i know a colleague who worked with someone and they shot hundreds of hours of material and you're kind of going well you've just killed your editing budget because you know it's going to take 100 hours just to look yeah. at it you know as opposed to edit it down into some kind of and, and I, I think mean, george, something also george i think that's why um the good film schools you know and i include iedt in that got people do everything yeah. because I used to meet the new first year film students yeah. and I, you know, I say that, you know, what would you like to do in film? And I very rarely, I mean, maybe one a year, somebody said I'm really interested in editing. You know, most of them didn't. Yeah. So that's why, you know, putting them in the teams of six and saying, okay, you guys over the course of the next year will do everything, including being an editor. <clears throat> and then someone went, oh, actually, I really like this. This is really interesting. And as you yeah. say, this is really central to what the film looks like. And the whole kind of nature of the film at the end. So I agree. I think doing that 
um, you know, looking at across the range of businesses, you know, the different business of editing, the different business of producing, of directing, um, less so writing, I think, in IEDT. We've got very few who they tend to go a different route if they want to be a writer and then come to film yeah. um, as a result of that rather than the other way around. But it was really important for them to learn what is the role of the editor, what is the role of the producer, and to try it. And as I say, some of them then went into editing and are very successful. Actually, what, what I'm remembering now from an earlier interview with Carl King, like he was working on like uh, Joyriders, mm-hmm. which is a production that's just went into yeah, post, as opposed to the I'm, going, I'm learning the language. Yes, I, I barely know the language. But, um, but the one thing he sort of pointed out there was, we've touched on the editing, we've touched on the higher jobs of the, we want to be the writer, producer, director, but what seems to be happening in the industry because of the growth of streamers and the domestic studios coming into Ireland and England is, there's a below the line bunch of all these extra jobs which we're sort of missing. It's, it's, it's like from locations to costumes to this, I, no, I don't know where they are, but there's a, there's a massive demand for, for maybe they're more, they want more cameramen, they want more sound guys, because functionally, this is what the big guys are here for. They're here for the high value job to get that tax break, to do it in the minimum amount of time to get back to where they are because they have the out themselves. So they're here to spend that money in the, in the Irish environment on Irish jobs and Irish tourist film accommodation. And, and therefore, are we actually missing a lot of jobs? Like the construction want to build 300,000 houses. There isn't an apprentice to be had for loving their money being incentivized well, to go that, into the market. That's interesting. I mean, it, you're right. You know, when, when the big production companies come in here, they want to get everything. They want the soup to nuts, you know, so they want every aspect of the, the film production. And we do that very well. We do have very talented crew and very talented actors and, you know, very talented location managers. And I think, um, you know, the, the film schools tend not to produce those people initially. So what Screen Skills Ireland did, which is a part of Screen Ireland, was put on a lot of training and a lot of courses and a lot of development for the craft side, if we can call it that, for the, you know, the crew, for the location managers, um, you know, for the the people who would be managing the set, who would be directing and managing the extras, who would be the, you know, people, the runners, the, you know, all of those jobs that people saying I want to be a, you know, a, a location manager generally, they they were providing that kind of training and that kind of development and professionally based courses. And I think that is the way to go to say we need that side of the business of film to be developed, to be trained, to have a career path and to contribute. Because you're right, you know, locations right. bring people in to Ireland. We have a huge amount of wonderful locations, but if you don't have good location managers, catering managers, logistics, transport, all of that, the film falls flat on its butt very quickly. One of the things that I found with the students that I was working with and also through my own career was that you you had to come up with your creative plan of how you wanted to make films uh, and produce them later on, but you also had to do the practical thing, which was to find a job that was the career development that would allow you to learn that craft, but also pay the bills. Yeah. And make sure you could pay your car and you know if you wanted a family all those kind of things just and those became a, a relevant part of it so it is it is a kind of dual system that you have to come up with one where you develop your creativity but that could as you said earlier on take quite a few years to to actually get to where you want to but in the meantime you've, you've got to have another career which is the jobbing mm-hmm. thing that brings in the money and teaches you literally the accountancy side of things to to make sure you, you can that you run your own little business, yeah, I think. Yeah. Really. And I mean, there are, there are a lot of people who are working as, as runners or as, you know, kind of 
production assistants, three ladders down, you know, who are probably going to be, I know a couple of them myself who are going to be wonderful producers in 10 or 15 years time, but they, you know, they're not well known now that they have their creative ideas, but they are working on Vikings of Valhalla or whatever in order to get that experience. And it's like actors. My daughter's an actor, a budding actor, you know, and, you know, it's waitressing jobs, it's temping jobs, it's all those things that you do to keep body and soul together while you're in between acting jobs, you know, and that, that's the, the business of, of film, unfortunately. It isn't, for most people, it's not a well-paid nine-to-five occupation that you know you are going to have, you know, the same amount of money at the end of each month. For producers on each project, it is, where do I get the next money for this? What happens if this goes wrong? And I think during COVID, that was particularly important. We kept the film industry going, but, you know, things shut down for a month because of COVID, our things were delayed, our people couldn't come, couldn't travel. So all of those things that impact on finance and the budget really hit people very hard. So, you know, producers have huge admiration for, they're dealing with and they're juggling a whole number of different things and possibilities all at once. The accountancy keeps on kicking in. I keep on saying in all the shows, I don't want to be the accountant, I was the accidental accountant, but it's in there. And what's, when you look at all the news, over the COVID time and all the rest of it, there's a there's actually a there's an awful lot happening in the entire industry. The stream, the consolidations on the streaming side, the power being taken away, the upside for the investor because they have the market, they have the out, they have the hundred million customers. They're changing how you access it, the OTT platforms. But one thing that's interesting in Ireland and England that before pre Brexit and now maybe post Brexit is the growth yeah. of studios. Because what is really happening here is. The studio's not here for studio. And, you know, the ta- studios house talent. They're here for the money. They're here for the tax break. Because a bunch of accountants internationally somewhere are saying, if we can make it in one shed versus another shed, we don't need twice the amount of customers on the other end to be in profitability. We're past break even, based on even Ireland and England. If all things were equal, a 20% tax break, I think it's 80% or 25%, or a 32 to 37% tax break, you don't have to do the maths on break even. They go, I need yeah. half the number of customers. So if I have to say, so we could, as a, as a nation, if we can get over the hurdle of planning permission and grannies uphill, stopping wind farms, and actually get those studios built, then any accountant will be building them here, not in England in the morning. And you can effectively be twice as attractive to any investor or fine or accountant CFO somewhere else on the planet to be going, this is where the money needs to be. And when the money is here and if the location is there and the talent is movable, then Ireland is the hottest spot on the planet to be for studio build-out. Why aren't we building yeah, more studios? That is a really good Good point. And we are building more studios. I mean, you know, uh, Troy was a wonderful addition to what was happening in Ireland. Yeah. So, you know, prior to that, it was, it was as you know, mostly Ardmore Studio in Ashford, which is just down the road for me. Yeah. Troy really regenerated Limerick and, you know, brought in big productions, foundation, etc. There are plans for a new studio in Galway. There's plans for a new studio near me here down in Greystones and Wicklow. There's plans for a new studio in Dublin. And what the international companies are saying, we need the new studios, but we need them big. We need 
big now, big we, there, there, I was going to say, yeah. I actually, uh, yeah. that's it, Annie. I have, I, I've seen all the pre-planning and the planning and the ones that are there. And there's effectively a doubling of going of, of what's in pre-planning is effectively a doubling yeah. of the capacity that's there now. Actually, the capacity that was there now, give or take a couple of pieces, has just been consolidated by Hackman in, this, in the sense of the, 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 the studio managers. So they actually took over the legacy. They're saying what they're doing is they're packed. They know they can leverage the margin they can that's what they're about by that definition if you double the space of a, of a like a hundred thousand square meter or something in the morning could fast track build it you'd actually move the queue of yeah. england to ireland because it it you've got to hire a track it's the problem here is planning not planning here and not also this the, 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 the what you call this the the, the the slate planning of the big boys and that you know they'll go they could they will take out five years of 10 years of total capacity based on pre-purchasing that tax break if only we fast track no, no, I, I agree i mean i i for me it's, it's a no-brainer to say we need those it's a no-brainer we really need to facilitate yeah. To, now, you know, I'm a big environmentalist as well. So clearly the environmental impact is very important. And, you know, um, they, they're kind of fitting in with the environment. But you look at something like Ashford down the road, it looks beautiful in the environment. You can't see yeah. the big building. It's, yes. you know, it's landscaped, all the rest of it. It is perfectly possible to do that. The other thing I think it's worth talking about, which we haven't touched on, you know, is, is the whole area of jobs in animation. I mean, animation. Now is huge mm-hmm. in Ireland, you know, not only Cartoon Saloon with Wolf Walkers, but Brown Bag, Jam Media, Boulder Media, you know, all of those companies are doing really, really well. So there's a huge rake of jobs there in the tech side, CGI, not only students who have studied animation and who come in and maybe are the, the creatives and, and the, um, the producers of animators, but, you know, people who studied computing technology, who studied design, who studied graphics, there's a huge market there and that is great see that industry right. that's a weird thing Annie yeah. because what we're saying is there's a weird there's a there, it, the jobs are about to double and triple because content is driving mm-hmm. the demand where are the people we know the streams they need to be going into we've got to be doubling yeah. and triple capacity of the college's output they, we can't actually address the, the gender imbalance if it's not being addressed on the way in the door of who's yeah. going in so, uh, so yeah, no, well, that, that was something that, that was a, that, that was a problem that we were seeing in one of the colleges I worked in, where because uh, I'm looking at the games industry at the moment because the Unreal Engine is getting to a point where you can use it in in live video film production uh, because Mandalorian, the Star Star Wars mm-hmm. thing, they used it, and there are other people now starting to experiment with uh, filmmakers with. Uh, green screen and and front projection but linking it with the games yeah. engine so you need those those people who are who are doing so they can do in camera shots now to try and cut those costs down from the big expense of the 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 CGI afterwards and that's that's now opening up possibilities and i'm even seeing um especially in england at the moment there are a lot of little companies setting up doing model making and building small sets to do special effects the way they used to in the 80s and 90s. So there is, there's a, there's a, we're going back in a cycle because now there was one production, I think it was Moon, uh, Brian Jones's film, uh, where they looked at the cost of CGI compared to the cost of uh, making models. And the producer asked this model maker, how much would it cost? And he said 45,000. And, and he went back and said, did you drop a naught off the end? And he, he went, no, no, we could do your film for £45,000. 
And they went, oh, well, we're going to go with you because we've been quoted 450,000 for anything else that would have been done model making. So that the CGI, CGI stuff is now gone way over budget, but they can make little yeah, miniatures yeah. and still make them look good yeah. on that side. Yeah. So, so, so you are talking about the games industry, which inadvertently is the animation industry, and you're also talking about model making. So there's a whole load of things that looked as though they were going out. There's lots of jobs. And you're also, yeah. you're also talking people? about design. You're talking about costume designers, you're talking about production designers, yeah. makeup designers. And I think going back to the, the college issue, um, it's very expensive to run those kind of courses. In college. It's very yeah. expensive to run costume design. It's very expensive to run um, animation in terms of the space, the kit, you know, everything that you need to provide for students. Um, and at IADT, you know, we used to take 30 kids on animation because that was the kit we had and the specialist staff in order to teach yeah. them. Yeah. So, you know, there is an issue of funding of higher education. There's an issue of, you know, STEM being important, but my goodness, how important are the arts and film and the investment needed in that? So there's another kind of yes. area of development yeah. within higher and further education. You have the wonderful Valley Fermat and other FE colleges that need to say, we need to expand this. If you talk to Brown Bag, they're bringing people in from India from Brazil, from Canada, you know, they'd love to be taking more Irish people. I guarantee that all the, the students who left IEDT's programs over the last few years in makeup design, costume design, production design, and animation are all working. You know, they're all working in yeah, yeah. the film industry, the animation industry. Some of them have gone to London, but not that many. So the jobs are there. We need the investment, as we need the investment in the film studios, we need the investment in higher education, special Actually, there your touch. We, we we went to a couple of uh, probably talks. I think Screen Iron were giving the talk a couple of years back, and I think there was another one, like let's say last year. But what the research they actually, I think they were doing their ten year plan, and they were, it was leading towards that. And they don't carried out a bunch of research. I think Crow might carried out research for them, you know, in Europe or thereabouts. And but all what was in the room was education and industry. There was about a hundred participants, but both industry was sitting there going. We've got job. We've got a lot. We want yeah. more people. We want them fit for purpose. We want to give them the jobs. You know, like could you give us them, please? That's the ask from industry to education. And education was asking the questions: What do you want? What do you? Oh, we already answered that. We want ready, fit for purpose people to go to work. We want to give them high-paying jobs, but we don't want to train them. Our, we're industry. It's not our role to train. Now, in education, was saying. Great. Now we know what you want, but our problem is legacy. We're stuck yeah. in old buildings. Our budgets are dropping. Our government support is dropping. We're now being asked to do more with less. How do we solve this problem? So the weird thing is there's loads of jobs because the industry says they're there. They're about to grow 12,000 new jobs in Ireland. This is before the growth, the yeah. exponential growth. If we could attract some more studio space into Ireland, we can move more jobs to Ireland again. But the problem here is we don't really have the accommodation. Cartoon saloons at the bottom of the road for me. I'm here in Kilkenny. And they says, we yeah. physically have to clone people. And actually, even if yeah. we did it, we unless we set up a tent village, we've nowhere for them to live. I so suppose, there's a I weird holistic are, thing going on. There, there are things that, you know, if you were thinking outside the proverbial box a little bit, I mean, you know, we, I was at IDT, we were yeah. talking to, at the time there was the plan to develop a big film studio in the old gas bottle site. In now that appears to have, yeah. you know, kind of fallen by the wayside somewhat. And, you know, we were talking about part of IEDT being there. You know, why does it all have to be on the campus in Dunleary? Why can't you have the education arm of, yeah. you know, Ardmore or the education arm of whatever right there on the campus using the 
space, but using, you know, IEDT staff or whatever. So I think there's a bit of, of kind of lateral thinking needs to, to happen to say, how can you strengthen that relationship to education industry, which could be co-location, you know, which could be some kind of yeah. a partnership that I think would be, um, would be very much welcome. Actually, you hit the nail on the head, Annie, because we literally sat in that room and says, the answer is yeah. a hybrid. Yeah. The answer is, you got to be, how do you, you, you know, industry wants to, it's, a, it's about a profit-making machine. It's in the business of making money and needs to, be, you know, a bit like, you know, give back to its shareholders. Now, admittedly, it needs to invest in people because what that industry is, is comprised of highly educated, continual, continual professional development, staffing, and they want to keep them because they're selling mm -hmm. them at a profit and what, of what their services and output is. But at the same time, education, you know, we've got to re-empower education for fit-for-purpose output. We've got to increase the output capacity because that demand, the supply and demand curve is, is, is not yeah, aligned yeah. anymore in, yeah. in, in my books. You know, Garvin, I think I would be with my fellow presidents and, and without put, being too crass and putting too fine a point on it, the discussion was how you fix the holes in the roof in an aging campus in Galway, not how you develop a new yeah. building, you know, and that's putting it a little... But you know what I mean? That's the problem. Yeah, We've yeah. got to move the playing field. Yeah. We've got to take the student out of the campus yeah. and into the business. And we've got to wrap the education around the individual, yeah. not the location. But one of the other issues that was a, that we also got out of those meetings was the fact that a lot of the people that were suddenly finding themselves in heads of department roles had just been you know, migrated upwards. So they were also feeling that kind of imposter syndrome that they were trying to find their own feet and they were suddenly being asked to train people and they didn't know quite what to do because they were trying to find their feet. But the other problem was that um, was that was the job description that a lot of the people that were trying to kind of find some kind of development didn't quite know where the boundaries of the job stopped and finished because everybody was seen to be doing multi-hyphenated and they didn't know where their job you know, finished and stopped. I mean, when I started out as a, an editor, I knew what my role was an editor. I knew what my role was an assistant. We knew what the camera operators were and all those. There were defined jobs, but there seemed to be, as my career developed, it was, it, I suddenly found myself doing 15 different people's jobs. And it was like, when do I let go of this and hand it over to somebody else? And that seemed to be one of the problems because they didn't know who do we want to train up at the moment we need this, but that's that job. And then tomorrow it could be this job. And, and a lot of the problems that they were having within the companies was that they, they didn't have the people long enough to train them under their under the training packages that they were being told to, to look into to try and get those funds back from the Section 481. So there were there were there were those kind of issues that that those industries don't quite know how to fit the people that are coming out of college into their system because they haven't got those systems defined enough. I don't know if that's something you, you, you'd experience. Uh, a little, or... yeah. I mean, there's, there's two sides to that again. I mean, one is you actually do want people who can be flexible. You know, they need to know what their jobs are, but they can yeah. move across and they can segue into things. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to jump back in and go like, you know, we sort of are asking questions. We already know half answers to where do you see the opportunity, Annie, in the industry, in Ireland right now to, to solve some of the problems, to create new opportunities, to what should we be doing to make the difference if only we could get the phone? Yeah, the, I mean, there's, there's a number of things. Sense. I think we've, we've touched on them all. So this might kind of round it up nicely. I mean, certainly the studio space is a, is a killer. You know, that... Um, you know, as we said, we have great crew and cast and, and locations and talent, but the studio space, fixing that 
you know, giving the incentives to get those bills quickly, to get them fit for purpose, to get them flexible, I think is important. I think the training we talked about for the the non-producer writer director, you know, that getting those schemes, working with uh, more of the kind of screen skills Ireland is doing, working with the studios around training. You know, I mean, RTE used to do a lot more training than it does now, you know, and, and we understand reasons for yes. that, but it's getting that training element in so that somebody coming in has got some yeah. a clear career path. I think that that's really important. And I think the tax incentives really have to be fit for purpose. They have to be enough and they have to be simple and efficient for people to, you know, to, to avail of. I think there's, when I was in Screen Island, you know, we had a great relationship with the revenue, but it was sometimes the case of producers feeling as though revenue thought they were trying to do the taxpayer out of money rather than seeing it as an investment in yeah. something that, you know, is, is good for Ireland and good for the economy and good for Ireland's reputation abroad. So I think that kind of relationship um, and that development is, is important as well. And then more places in higher education, more better funded kit and places for the next generations. And then a lot of the stuff that we're doing around diversity, you know, the importance of different voices, the importance of women's voices, black and ethnic minority voices, disability, um, disabled community voices, you know, the trans voices, all of those voices, those stories being heard, being told, being invested in, I think is, is making a big difference as well. And it's happening. We are beginning to see diverse faces on screen and diverse stories, but there's still a long way to go there. So if we could do all of those things, we could have the investment. I do think, um, you know, as I, as I argued, um, I wrote an opinion piece for the Times about six months ago saying, get the Netflixes and the Amazons and all the rest of it to pay. Exactly. It's the order. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, I, well, I heard everything you said there. And the strange thing is, actually, you did it nearly in the perfect order. If we sort the studio, the studio comes in. The money is in the house. The jobs are created. They want the content. They have all the opportunities. These are the things for these people to train them up in. They, so the strange thing is, it needs to be nearly in the order yeah, of yeah. the money. Yeah. The money they, empowers yeah. all. It, then it'll be used to invest in all. It will get that tax break yeah. by doing X, Y, and Z. But it's to make it. It's to make it more, as you said, even being an accountant and even asking the question I've asked before, the, the, the pain that I keep on coming across is compliance, regulation, over-administration, red tape, red, they've got every colour tape yeah. you can think of. It is not making it easy. It's, it's making it difficult to enter into the process because all that tape and compliance is really about is empowering the machine to then to then actually fill up with all this content of people and opportunity and training and education and output of content. But we got to empower the machine, but we have to finance the machine yeah. to empower to, those other We have to trust pieces. the film industry. We have to trust that they are, you know, in it to make good movies, that they're not in it to make mega bucks yeah. and scams and all the rest of it. You know, and... and do what France and Germany and other countries have done and put a levy on Netflix and on the, the streamers of Disney and all the rest of it. You know, yeah, it's what, yeah. 3% or something. And the government has said, yes, we're going to do that. Do it. You know, stop talking about it and do it. And, and just trust the film industry. You know, we, we pride ourselves in Ireland on being artists and writers and storytellers and creators. Mm -hmm. And as chair of Screen Ireland and, and now chair of the Flower, I see that all the time. And we get a lot of praise from the government when you know, the normal people comes out and it's, you know, worldwide recognition and all the rest of it. But they have to back that up. It's not just a photo opportunity with normal people, but the day-to-day -day support, the lack of bureaucracy, the investing in the industry, the trusting the industry, and really supporting it at grassroots level. If they could do that, 
then you know I think that would be that would be great. Now, I'm going to ask a mad question because this was the same. No, there was a weird. Who's they? Yeah. I suppose. I mean, it's it's it it does vary who they is. I mean, often it is revenue, and it's the Department of, of Arts and Culture and the Rail Talk. And I have to say, um, yeah. you know, various ministers came and go, came and went when I was involved in Screen Island and now in the Flat. And Catherine Martin, you know, has shown I think a strong commitment. Yeah to the arts during COVID. We want that commitment to continue. We want that commitment to the arts to recognise the importance of the arts, not just as a palliative care system during COVID. You know, it's not just that. It's not therapeutic. It is an important industry in itself. It is an important set of art forms. So, you know, government understanding that, funding it, supporting the development of studios, supporting the arts and education, all of those, I think, would be really, really important. And I know it's difficult. Governments are you know, always looking to the next election. They're in it for the short term, often rather than the longer term. But really, you know, that kind of civil service commitment and revenue commitment, I think, would be, would be really important. Well, actually, what's interesting now, there's a little hint of, of, of that happening by the government if we look through the, the maths. And what happened is, I think, the Strategic Pension Fund, no, the Pension Fund has invested in a percentage of one of the studios. And therefore, that now is classified as a strategic asset class. Therefore, if you, those studios are a strategic asset class now recognised by the Irish government and backed up by the tax break. The bit that's missing, for, to me, is this, except they're doing it for data centres, I think they're a bit yeah. fast-track planning. And once it's a strategic asset class, they've indirectly opened the door that if a big studio something wanted to walk in the door, we need to be doing a 100,000 square metre something. And the something, in my opinion, should, because you touched on it a little bit earlier in the conversation, green film. If you, we need to be building with the future in mind now, it needs to be fully holistic. It needs to be future proofing. It needs to be moving fifty thousand jobs to Ireland for the for, for the foreseeable future of ten years, and that can be done now with green yeah. film initiatives under a strategic government yeah. initiative of fast tracking a mega yeah, studio. Yeah, film studios are very clued up on sustainability now. 15 years yes. ago, 10 years ago, but now they really are in, in everything from how much water they use and how they use it, how they leave the yes, sites yes. and, and what they plant and everything. You know, I think there's a, there's a huge um, sea change there, which is very, very welcome in terms of the green film industry and sustainability. But I just think, you know, I mean, certain people in government will really push the vote out when, if I said there's a big new film studio opening, but a lot of them will say there's a big new data centre opening or Amazon are coming to Ireland. And, you know, we've got to have that same excitement to say Hollywood is coming to Ireland or Bollywood or a film studio. Let's get that sense of pride and excitement in, in those kind of investments or a new higher education institution is opening. Let's get that as well as, you know, the furore that we get when there's a data centre or Amazon or, you know, Google or whoever it is. We've, we've, we're, we're gradually coming towards an end, but we, we haven't had really a chance to talk about the, the Galway mm. Film Flower, which I think would be worthwhile, because I know that uh, over the last 30-odd years, I've managed to get there quite a few times, one, just to watch films, but then also in the mm. business side, doing the markets and stuff. What, what if, if someone's starting out or they're just trying to get a movie sort of planned at this point, how best would they be able to utilise what the Film Flower has to mm. offer to them? Yeah, I mean, the, the fly is, is wonderful. I'm delighted to have taken over the, um, the chairing of the board. And it was different this year because it was a very, you know, one or two um, exceptions. We did have a wonderful open air 
venue that um, that worked really well. Um, I mean, you mentioned the markets, George. You know, the the yeah. hotel where the the flower is, is situated. There is every possible kind of film worker there. There are producers there. There are investors there. Uh, there are film company executives. So that's a really good place to start. And you know, the markets and the industry events that are there are specifically tailored to link. You know, people with a story, people with a script, with a development executive or with a, a potential producer. So, you know, a young person or a, not even a young person, but somebody with an idea can go to the Galway Flower and hopefully it will be real next year as opposed to virtual. And they will be able to sit down and have a formal session. You know, their time sessions with those guys, they can sit with them in the bar, they can sit with them in the coffee, they can go to their presentations, they can go to their industry events, they can talk to Screen Ireland, they can talk to people in the floor, and they will get a lot of context and contents and contacts and a lot of, of development opportunities. They will also get to meet people from the film industry all over the world, you know, not just the superstars, the Gabriel Byrne of the, of the world, but, you know, people who are actively involved in the whole range of, of occupations across film, and they will learn an awful lot. It really is a super festival. You know, given the, the kind of size of it, it punches way above its weight in terms of developing the next generations of filmmakers, offering them opportunities, but also showcasing an Irish film and animation. So I would strongly recommend, and I used to recommend to all the students, get yourself to the flower, you know, get a notebook in your yeah. hand, talk to people, take down numbers, take down names, follow it up. There's an awful lot you can do to make those connections at the farm. Well, I was there for about four days in 2017. And I don't think I actually got to see a movie because we were talking to people in the pubs and they were producers. And in fact, uh, I got ch chatting to one person and uh, I was in the marketplace, at, you know, just pitching ideas. And it turned out the person I spent the last two days with was one of the people I was suddenly uh -huh. pitching to. And I didn't realize, but it was it was really good to see how that worked. Mm -hmm. well, but also the seminars. Sorry, if it's any consolation to you, George, as, as um, chair of Screen Ireland, I used to go to the Cannes Film Market and Film Festival. And I probably saw one or two films the whole time. I saw one film in Galway this year. You know, you, you're doing the business yeah. side of it, which is great. But that's it, Annie. If you're going to watch the films, exactly. you're, you're yeah. not yeah. doing the business. <laughs> so so that that's for the tourists to watch. Now you yeah. get to watch yeah. them in your own time. But it's a, it's no, that brings us back to a nice little end. It's the film of it's, it's, business, it's, a, yeah. it's the business of film. That's what the fly yeah. is. The fly is be, on yeah. the world stage. I was just saying, but but the same in Cannes, you know, my diary would be full of meetings with countries looking to do co-productions with people looking for locations in Ireland with ambassadors who wanted to come and, you know, talk to the Irish talent or whatever. It would be business meetings. It would be people wanting to set up a new studio. And then, as you say, I'd get to watch the films maybe later hotel or when I got back even. Um, and it was it was quite often the case where people said, oh, what did you think of that film? And I would say, well, I've heard it's great. <laughs> but, I actually, but it's all part, as you said, of the very important business of film in Ireland. Well, look, we, we're, we're, we're really coming to the end of, of, of this episode, I think, which I think would be quite good. It's been a fairly detailed episode. We've gone through what the needs are for uh, writers, producers and directors, looking at uh, students who need to consider the whole, the holistic view of a film and all the different component parts that they need to sort of be trained in and at least experience once as they go through their own training. We also looked at the issues of uh, studios that are 
now coming into Ireland and how they need to function to help sort of train the new income incumbents into that. And we've also been exploring the different areas, uh, animation, live action, the gaming industry. And of course, one of the most important things is also the film flower, the Galway film flower and how important it is. And I know from my career all the way for the last 30 odd years or more, you know, I've, I've managed to get there quite a few times and it has been a, a very productive experience. So I, I would highly recommend it not to go and watch the movies, although they're great, but to network and to get, know, to get to know people and start to promote your own films and projects because you never know, you might be showing your film the next year at the Galway Film Festival. We normally just give our guests a, a quick, is there anything you'd like to say that you didn't get to say during the, during the, the last... 45 minutes or more. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think we've had a, a good conversation. I mean, you know, I, I hope it came across how passionate I am about, uh, about Irish film. And my particular interest is, is diversity in film and, and women in film. So I think those, um, and, and as a higher education, um, you know, ex-president, the importance of training young people. So I think you you kind of um, covered all those, uh, Georgia Garvin. And just to really encourage people to go to your cinema and watch films. You know, and that sounds a really crass thing to say, but actually it's really important with cinemas reopening, with films reopening, the yes. people get out there and they support them because, you know, that helps obviously grow the Irish film industry. We love the Hollywood blockbusters, but we love our Irish films. Any last words, Garvin? No, I just really like the last thing you said there, Annie, because it was the piece that was left out. It was that there's the customers, there's the revenue, there's the sustainability that makes it happen. Go do again. So do support what you see in front of you. Make it a profitable something for those that invested in before. So if you want to see more of the same, that's how you do it. We yeah. need to watch more. Definitely. Well, well folks, that brings us to the end of our show this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. That's our 100th episode. And we've, we, we are really pleased and fortunate to have Annie Duna here with us to, to talk about her perspective. And I think we've, we've been enriched by the experience as well. So thanks very much for watching. And I hope you give it a chance to see us again next week. Bye for now. Thanks a lot. Hope you enjoyed this video. Please subscribe and click on the bell for notifications.